Thanks for making it in this morning, Q. Bright and early. Here Bro. we are. 6 a.m. Ready to rock. I'm so ready to go back to sleep. It's 7 a.m. technically. Uh, but I am very much going back to sleep after this. I'm not even going to lie to you about it. Like, I think I'm going to keep rolling. I got a solid five hours last night ready to talk about some Bitcoin news. And there isn't any. We, we, we do this every day. We get up. There's no news. <laughs> The dog days of summer, bro. I need to ask you though, like, do you, are you someone who can function off of consistent, not full night rest? No, uh, too much activity. Like with the jujitsu and stuff, my body just shuts down eventually, and I'll start falling asleep in the middle of the day, just like involuntarily. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, but I think I don't know. It's exciting times, sort of. We've got uh, just like kicking the ball down the road. They delayed the ETF, Bitcoin spot ETF application for all applicants. That included BlackRock, that included Wisdom Tree, Invesco, Wise, Van Eck, Valkyrie. I mean, just everything. I think they have 240 days from the initial filing to delay before they make a decision. I think that's the rule. We're X number of days into that, depending on which applicant. So it's going to be not until October... 16th 17th and 19th i think that they're gonna have to re revisit their decisions on all of these so that's kind of a letdown for everyone who anticipated you know a little price jump but actually this is historically normal for the sec this is what they do they tend to take that whole 204 i think it's 240 day period to review applications so sorry if you're expecting a little bump and some bitcoin institutional etf action that is not going to happen yet. And we're probably in for, I don't know, this is just my opinion. I think we're in for a bit of a correction and downswing here and a great opportunity to stack some stats. Yeah. I mean, so Joe Carlosari has a really interesting take on this. And I was talking to some people about it yesterday, but he is saying it's within the realm of possibility, actually, that what the SEC does based on the grayscale ruling from earlier this week and now delaying all of these other ETF applications that they may go back and retroactively deny the futures ETFs that, the, that have already been approved simply because that's the basis that the court used to, to side with Grayscale. So that's within the realm of possibilities. And Well, can I clarify one thing? Yes. The, the basis the court used is that, hey, these futures and spot ETFs are actually like 99.9% correlated. So it doesn't make any sense for you to accept this one thing and deny the other. And it actually, I mean, it creates a lot of pressure and risk on the institutional investors to not have exposure, only be through this like disentangling futures product. I mean, the spot should be open. It should be open for business. I think a lot of companies want the exposure. Right now, we don't have like a true, it's kind of funny, like the free market asset, we don't have true price understanding. Like it's hard to tell what institutions want or need exposure to this. You know, if even someone like a BlackRock is looking for it and they can't get their product approved, it's like, wow, we could be at a totally different price right now. Not that's the most important thing, but it just... You know, it, it definitely frustrates many and it's an opportune time to have access to that spot here in the kind of fourth quarter of a, you know, of a cycle. It'd be a great time for a BlackRock or even a, 
I guess MicroStrategy holds directly, but you know, all the institutions who don't, it's just, it's the ideal time to scoop some up. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of like my perspective on this is it's actually less so about the institutional capital that's going to inflow to this. Like, yes, there will be institutional money, but, and I'm trying to look this up right now, actually, how much money in 401k in the country right now. So the average American has, the average American has about a hundred thousand dollars, a little bit more than a hundred thousand dollars in their 401k. No, <laughs> No. I mean, you and I, I are below be right. average. I'm telling you, this is no. That from, can't be right. This is from no. July we're above average. The average American doesn't have like a thousand dollars. What do you mean the average? I'm confused. I don't know. I'm pulling this on. Okay, on average, if, Americans between the age of forty and forty-nine. Okay, okay, that's better. That makes more sense. Yeah, I don't know. CNBC is like not helping me right now. I should <laughs> Google Bard, honestly. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just, I don't know that many people that even have a hundred thousand dollars to their name <laughs> that are like regular, you know, blue collar workers and stuff. So that'd be incredible. But yeah, if they build no. it up over that long, that makes sense. That makes sense. No, but the point I'm trying to more get to is the fact that you have a lot of money, like billions, if not trillions of dollars tied up in these 401k plans that while you and I may look at this a little differently and be more willing to take the tax hit, be more willing to self-custody Bitcoin, that like I am very much in the camp that if we want global mass adoption, you need to have a variety of products. And some of those do include things that are fake Bitcoin exposure, like an ETF for these Let's call them old folks. Let's call let's call the let's call it what it is. The older right. generation who simply wants exposure. So there is an element of this where you will unlock a market segment that otherwise would not get involved in this space because they have no interest in self-custody. They have no interest in understanding the nuance of this tech. And that's acceptable. That's fine. Truly it yeah. is. They're on death's door. Look, they're old as dust. They need they need something to, they don't have time to learn about Bitcoin, but they want exposure to it. They know enough to know they want some. I think that's totally fair, man. Listen, if I had like four decades of working worth of retirement built up in a tax advantage, you know, retirement account, you'd better believe I'd be trying to buy spot ETF Bitcoin too. I mean, I probably wouldn't be cashing that out, but we're so young. The game is just different for us. All in for me and you is not the same uh, as all in for someone like a, I don't know. So name X old person, you know, you know, I mean, that's dude, been like working my their dad, whole life. You know, my dad and I have this debate all the time. Yeah, where he's like, you, you are better positioned to take advantage of this situation, and I'm just not. And that's like he has such a huge reservation around it because he's like. I won't reap the rewards in the same way you will. I'm like, right, but like you're wrong because you've been wrong about a lot of things. And this is another one where like, I hope you're around in a couple of years so that I can just be like, hey, dad, I'm sorry, but you were wrong. And I told you so again. Well, I kind of, I disagree with that. He can have, he's probably pretty well positioned to take advantage of it on a huge scale. There's just more risk for him involved. Totally. Like he so his allocation proportionally is going to be small. He can't afford, but that doesn't really matter. So, like, like for example, my mom has a bunch, but my dad 
doesn't really, even though my dad is definitely a far more convicted believer in Bitcoin than my mother is. But his whole thing is like, dude, I can't afford to put half of my savings into this because if it fails, I don't have enough time to go and like fix that. I can't go back and like remake that money that quickly versus no offense to you and I, but if we fall flat on our face doing something, we're young enough to where it's like, okay, we can, we've got plenty of time in the future over the course of the rest of our lives. Look it up. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, that's the hilarious thing about the kind of Twitter movement of Bitcoin, especially this like new class of 2020 and, uh, you know, later Bitcoiners, a lot of them are pretty young, reckless, don't have much to their name anyway. So all in is a completely different story for them. And it's a, you know, it's a good time, but it's just, it's, I think part of the kind of cultural clashes between the younger you know, more brazen, you know, with a high risk appetite, newer sort of investors that are very new to investing actually in and of itself, you know, versus the old kind of gold bugs, you know, 60, 40 portfolio allocation, regular kind of boomers that have been around the block many times and have seen many cycles and have seen many market downturns and depressions. So I don't know. I It's an individual case. You can't make a prescription that's going to fit all here. For me, I like being all in. 99.9% I have like $500 to my name. I mean, that's how I really push the limits on that. I think it's fun. I think it makes life exciting. But that does not work for everybody. So you, you just can't make a that recommendation for everybody. Anyway, going back to let's talk about Gary Gensler a little bit. What do you think here, Q? I mean, what do you? There's a lot of whispers that uh, this guy works for Larry Fink on the DL. He's gonna have a nice bonus waiting for I him mean, when he leaves office. Do I believe that Gary Gensler is going to try to position himself to have a really cushy job after public service or his time in the public sector? Yes, but I'll also caveat it by saying, so does everyone in the public sector. So. I don't buy this narrative that, oh, Gary Gensler is like working on behalf of Larry Fink. It's like, dude, they all are. Larry Fink owns like half of DC. So let's not kid ourselves here with this and act as though Gary is a bad actor. I've said time and time again, like Gary to me has been one of the only, from the perspective purely of a Bitcoiner as it pertains to Bitcoin, Gary is weirdly been one of the only like advocates of Bitcoin in DC. Yes, there are others, but, and I used to say this all the time last year to you, to P, to Chris, everyone, we are literally a heart attack away from the next chair, the SEC coming out and saying, actually, no, the last chair had it wrong and Bitcoin is a security and I want to enforce it. So just be careful what you wish for. I think, for all of his shadiness, for all the stupidity, for all of the dumb moves he continues to make, Gary is unfortunately one of our best, our being Bitcoins, best advocates in D.C. Whoa, advocate. How is he an advocate for Bitcoin? He, I'll grant you that he, he understands the difference between Bitcoin and crypto, and he yes, that, understands Bitcoin more than most right. that are holding but public if he office. But he's going around essentially telling people that, hey, Bitcoin is a commodity, unlike anyone else in D.C., 
That to me is the move of an advocate. Because it aligns with what we want for now. Totally. But right now he's doing the thing we don't want. So he's not an advocate. Is right? he though? He's now out of the maximalist camp and we, we, we temporarily need to burn him at the stake because, you know, he's not doing the thing that the maxis are calling yeah, for, the, which is a group. Okay. Camp. See, I don't agree with that either because I think it's a contingent of these quote unquote Bitcoin maxis who are really upset that the price hasn't moved. So they're looking at, well, if Gary approves the ETF, then my 0.01 Bitcoin will be worth over a million dollars and I don't need to work yet. It's like, dude, shut up. Like, go build something. Go do something productive instead of sitting there, circle jerking with the rest of your like 0.01. Oh, man. I, honestly, I've fallen into this camp. I have fallen into this camp where if you are sitting there staring at the price every fucking day without contributing to this network, you are a joke. I don't care. Come after me. Tell me why you're justified to sit there with your fraction of a Bitcoin and bitch and moan and attack anyone who is trying to build anything, either some sort of software, tech, whatever, on Bitcoin, around Bitcoin, through Bitcoin, or even this whole ETF thing. Like it's at its core, it's just people who are pissed that their Bitcoin is, tra Bitcoin is trading sub 30K right now. And they thought they'd be driving around in Lambos. And that just tells me like, you don't, you haven't taken the time to like understand Bitcoin, what it offers. You have no idea the privilege that you live within. No clue. But that's just. Man, that someone's been hanging out with MVK. That was, uh, that was great. I think it's funny that actually does play in the psychological kind of profile that we described just a few minutes ago of these younger people who are new to investing, who uh, honestly have everything to lose. And for them, you know, Bitcoin is hope. I don't really condemn their actions too much. I don't like the value games. Like I don't like the, you know, putting other people down to lift yourself up and scapegoating entire groups of people that you've never met. That's pretty weird behavior to me from the maximalist side. But I think this segues nicely into one of our questions for the day. I think this is question number 10. What is a Bitcoin maximalist? Q, I'll let you take it from here and then we can talk about how you feel about them. Yeah, I mean, like you and I have actually gone back and forth on on this for probably since I've known you. Like actually pretty much since I've known you. It varies. Like I would consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist from the lens of like there's not another cryptocurrency that I think comes within the realm of what Bitcoin can do, has the ability to accomplish. But then, you know, McShane, you'll call me a shitcoiner because I still have my 401k and I still, I still buy stocks. Shout out my fellow TSM holders. That is not financial advice. I'll probably regret holding it for as long as I have, but who knows? What is, hold on. What is TSM? Taiwan Semiconductor, publicly traded company <laughs> that's like literally in the middle of our trade war between us and Taiwan. I'm just going to put us both on the screen right now. I don't feel like going solo. Of course. Um, so, and then other layers to Bitcoin maximalism, which is like, this is where I, I'd be open to having more of a discussion with you, but like there is a, a level of maximalism. Like, I don't think I'm at this level where you kind of attack anything that is not within the ethos of pure Bitcoin and we've seen it 
I've personally seen it. We're seeing it right now with drive chains. We saw it during the time of ordinals. We saw different fractions sort of come out of it and say this or that. Block size war is in my other is in my bedroom, but I was about to hold that up and be like that. That to me is starting to feel like a moment where you really started to see Bitcoin maximalists share what their values are at its core. It's about allowing this technology to be accessible to everyone, regardless of where you live geographically and regardless of your financial situation. That is the whole point of Bitcoin. And to me, at its core, Bitcoin maximalists are trying to defend that. Sometimes they stray, sometimes they lose their sight or vision, but at its core, it's about making sure that Bitcoin is a purely for the people money that the people will run, no centralized entity whatsoever. I also will shamelessly shout out, whatever publicist came up with the catchphrase DeFi, I hope you are enjoying the island that you should have bought with the bonus money you should have been given by all of the bullshit scam tokens that you help pump under the guise of decentralized finance because the only set the only protocol that is truly decentralized is bitcoin but that's my i gotta push back on this there's a problem in not just maximalism culture but in general of people going you know no true scotsman argument which is what you essentially just made so you said that Bitcoin is the only truly decentralized. So your whole argument rests on the word truly. So now you have to define what is what makes Bitcoin decentralized. Because I literally can spin up a node on an old laptop and you can too and anyone can. And that the fact that anyone can run a node makes it truly decentralized. Look at some look at Solana. You li they literally need a whole floor of an office building to run the servers. That is not a decentralized network, but it's touted as DeFi because, oh, we're not a part of the traditional financial system. Cool. So you didn't trust Jerry Powell, but instead you're going to trust these like shadowy AWS. figures. <laughs> not even AW. It's like, do you really know like the money behind Solana? I think the, the key differentiator here is in Bitcoin, you can't be disenfranchised by the will of a few, right? Or, you know, it, it takes rough consensus. It takes, you know, tens of thousands of nodes. It's kind of hard to put a unique kind of description on it because there are other cryptocurrencies that you can spin up a node for at home. I think the difference here is Bitcoin has accumulated all of this value and shown historically like an incredible, you know, 99.99 whatever percent uptime. And it's been shown to be completely censorship resistant if you self-custody it and just, you know, there are like many features that contribute to its differentiation from crypto. And I actually, I, I agree with you, Q. I think like the first kind of tenet of Bitcoin maximalism is that, look, this is a computer science invention, free and open source software that is like the world's first non-state monetary system. And all other crypto assets are competing with this thing with Bitcoin just by virtue of their existence. So that's kind of the first, that's where you start to see like, okay, if you're a Bitcoin maximalist, you're really not interested in these other networks. You think they're all you may argue with the legitimacy of how much they're in competition with Bitcoin. It's not very much. It's like, it's in my opinion, it's pretty laughable, 
but you have to admit they are trying to steal that market cap. Like Ethereum is very much like thinks of itself as a second contender, even though it's a far cry from, you know, first place there in terms of value acquired and just like immutability and soundness over time. I mean, all Bitcoin, I mean, sorry, all Ethereum miners, this is the great example of this. They were disenfranchised, right? The move from to proof of stake literally Stupidest ruffled. Move. Yeah, what, whatever. I mean, interesting technological achievement. I applaud them for pulling it off. But that is the disenfranchisement that I speak of. That That's not going to happen to you in Bitcoin. We're not going to have an incompatible hard fork where suddenly you're completely fucked. You know, See, your I, legacy. Uh, this is, what's up? I'm going to I'm gonna interrupt you and disagree because we've, okay. we've actually seen the hard fork happen already. We've seen a fracturing of Bitcoin based on the block. I think, so I'm not going to dox him, but I have heard that on Tuesday, there will be a very big announcement. And what, between miners and drive chain? (laughs) No, it's not drive chain. It's around ordinals, I believe. And I think it's going to, I'm hoping it breaks before we, go live so we can read it and discuss. But I think there is a growing sentiment and it it might just be a very small contingent, but I don't think we're done with the hard forks. I don't think the block size war is going to be the only time Bitcoiners infight. And I think we will see different offshoots of Bitcoin in the future. And unfortunately, that's fair. It's listen, it's presumptuous to say that we'll never have a hard fork again. It's actually kind of a big fear. Like what does consensus look like in the future? How do you propose and make upgrades to Bitcoin? These are all questions we're struggling with culturally. I mean, I've got people yelling at me in my DMs like, how could you propose drive chains be tested on Litecoin? We're Litecoiners. We don't want it on our network. And then the Bitcoiners are like, Litecoin is not our testnet. How could you ever propose something? We would never use an altcoin as our testnet. And I'm like, all right, well, you don't know your own history for one. I mean, this is how Segwit was activated. (laughs) So, you know, and then you've got, uh, you know, I don't know, speedy trial. There's just so many different, look, it's complicated, but my point is you're not going to be, it's not, it's no small thing for you to be disenfranchised in Bitcoin. Like that is a huge problem. If your addresses are suddenly not, backwards compatible if the bitcoin you once held you no longer have access to i think it's safe to say you're not going to wake up tomorrow and that's going to be the case in all these other networks let's put it this way in all the other networks the risk that happens to you that you wake up one day and your network's offline solano famously just doesn't fucking work like sometimes when you wake up i don't know if it's i don't know if they're on aws or not but you know some kind of cloud server hosting problem Hey, not your, you know, if it's not your server, it's not your data. So like, it's just the cloud is just someone else's computer. So that's a huge problem. You wake up and suddenly you can't spend, you can't whatever, uh, generate even your transaction history because you're relying on this centralized database rather than a distributed ledger. Yeah, I'm just trying to put some definition behind the word truly. I'll just do two other quick points. So I think the other tenet of Bitcoin maximalism is not only that they believe all the other cryptocurrencies are trying to compete with it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's a singular computer science invention. But I think that maximalists inherently believe that investing in other cryptocurrencies is, I mean, pick one, like wrong, stupid, or immoral, not interesting. It should be ignored. It should be discouraged socially for the benefit of like consumer protection. 
So that's where you kind of get this idea of a of Bitcoin maximalism as an immune system for the protocol, right? We're trying to protect people now. We're trying to do the job, you know, supposedly of the government. It gets a little bit dicey there, right? Because now you have people that are against attributes of Bitcoin itself. They're against parts of Bitcoin that are within Nakamoto consensus because they believe it gave rise to scams such as ordinal inscriptions. So then you get some really interesting cultural divide among the maximalists. Can I, you know, those, can I chime yeah, in on this? Because yeah, yeah. there's an aspect like I, I'm on a I'm on a bender trying to get canceled by Bitcoin Twitter right now. Like that's my goal today. But there's another aspect to your point of what you're saying that I've been noticing for some time that I laugh about. And Bitcoin Twitter, would you agree with this statement? Bitcoin Twitter, you know does a really good job of mocking clown world for some of the hypocrisies that it operates within such as cancel culture. Yeah. I mean, they're very guilty of it themselves, but I think Bitcoin gives you a different framework through which to view the world through like monetary kind of evil and wrongdoing. So they're kind of standing at an angle to everything and it's kind of easy to point at things and make fun of them and call them clown world from that perspective. I, but- I just think that there's an element of Bitcoin maximalists who think their opinion is more important than it is. And they think that by bashing their fellow Bitcoiners, they're helping to keep the network and those involved within it pure. When in fact, like I think it's a little intellectually dishonest. Like, we need to have difficult conversations and we should have these intelligent conversations. Paul Stork should have the freedom to ask these questions and try these things because that's how we know if things work or not. What do you mean try these things? What do you mean try them? Like at bare minimum, have a conversation. Like play it out at least like, like I'm not saying implement it. I'm saying like play it out scientifically. Like what happens if... You have a drive. But he's been doing it for years, no? Exactly. Don't stop him from. But and I think that's that's perfectly acceptable. But this idea of attacking people who present an idea that you either don't understand, which is the majority of people who are speaking on it, or you don't like it, which is antithetical to the freedom maximalist that tend to be attracted to Bitcoin. It we're getting lost in this idea of, oh, Bitcoin is meant to be this. I have a really unpopular opinion, like a really unpopular one, but I'm starting to be very convinced that Satoshi did found a shit coin. I think I like that is, I'm like fully getting more and more convinced. I mean, there are certainly proposed and uh, you came up with a lot of ideas that are pretty like antithetical to uh, Bitcoin maximalism beliefs today. What's the shit coin you think you found it? No, I don't think I I would know which one it is, but I do believe based on some of the rhetoric that I've seen shared of his posts from way, way back, way, way back as in like 10, 12 years ago. There's like a danger in interpreting Satoshi as kind of the leader of Bitcoin and even propping him up ideologically can be dangerous just because his version of Bitcoin wouldn't work for us today. It, it, w- it wouldn't scale. It's not what we use. Like the protocol has changed and moved on. And, you know, the immaculate conception of Bitcoin, very beautiful, very great story. I mean, it's what I think keeps it a little bit distributed. We know there's not a like mask behind the protocol kind of 
turning the uh, turning the gears here and there. So my point is like you can look at a thing something like Satoshi's vision and see what a train wreck this becomes when you try to interpret the vision of someone rather than okay, let's hold true to the tenets that arise within this protocol itself. You know, you would be, it just causes problems. It's actually Budion has a really interesting, you know, he hates that we call money sex. Yeah. Well, he hates a lot of things, but he hates that we call Bitcoin, you know, pieces of a Bitcoin sets. It's paying too much homage to Satoshi. It's too hard to learn. People intuitively, when I tell my mother, like, I'm going to send you some sets, she has no idea what I'm talking about. If I told her I was going to sell her some bits, send her some bits, that would make a lot of sense intuitively, like for the Bitcoin. So that's kind of where you get, you know what I mean? It's just like the the cult of Satoshi. I'm even wearing the Satoshi hat. We love it. We love Satoshi. It's like, you know, it's a great, powerful figure of kind of intrigue. But there's a real danger in reading, you know, kind of too much into his opinions and thinking that they hold true to today. There's 10 years of kind of economic history that have played out and, and Bitcoin history over 10 years. And yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. That's a danger. The third point I kind of wanted to make about Bitcoin maximalism that might be a little bit controversial is that it seems to me like it's only limited by that. Bitcoin maximalists believe that the technology is only limited by human kind of ingenuity and they believe kind of, you saw Paul Stork say this the other day too, that basically any virtuous, like useful, prosperous traits of money itself and of these decentralized protocols could be brought home to Bitcoin. So if we see something play out on another protocol that we want, we could find a way to adopt it and evolve it. And there seems to be divide also among the maximalists whether or not, you know, clearly there's divide this change is a good thing. Should we ossify? Should we stay the same? You know, I think that there's a lot of misinformed kind of understanding in both and just what ossification would mean for the network. And then at the same time, people often downplay how little risk they're in and proposing changes to the network. So, you know, neither side can really be taken lightly. Thankfully, in my opinion, it, it leads to a rather slow development in Bitcoin. But you do see us adopting technologies, you know, Lightning, Taproot. We end up with something like inscriptions. I'm not saying for good or for bad, but I'm saying we end up with this because there are a sect of people of Bitcoin maximalists, in fact, who believe that the anything good that arises from engineering on competing cryptocurrencies will come home kind of to the mother chain. So I don't know, just an interesting space to watch. That would probably be my three defining traits of a maximalist. Now there's lots of other kind of character baggage, I think that comes with them. But in that description, I mean, Q, do you think of yourself as a, as a maximalist? I think of myself as a Bitcoin maximalist, yes, but I also understand when people tell me that under their definition, I am not. I just think that the point of being a Bitcoin maximalist is believing in the ultimate freedom. And to me, that means that you have the space to operate and believe what you want to believe, and I do as well. So like... So long as you your intentions are pure, I don't give a yeah, fuck. But this, these, come on, man. These are the terms that this is like the really super annoying arguments that people make online. The 
like the worst of the maxi culture. This is like, yeah, but you're not pure enough. These, the problem with saying like, you know, Bitcoin is, is the true Bitcoin is the pure is that you don't have a definition for these things. So it becomes, let me, let me define it. Let me define it Uh very clearly for you. If you are not trying to scam people out of their Bitcoin, if you are not sending malicious links, if you are not running bullshit trading things that you're convincing people like, oh, I trade Bitcoin. If you're not trying to scam people out of your Bitcoin, that that is all in my mind you need to do to be considered pure. If you want to attack people for ordinals, that's fine. Like, I think you're a jackass for doing it. Wait, are, are people that are selling their kind of artwork on inscriptions, are they trying to scam people or do? No, I don't think, I think there might be a contingent of those people who are like, oh, I'm going to like fuck over these Bitcoin maxis and, and get their Bitcoins. And then I'm going to, I'm going to switch it over for ETH. Like, yeah, bro. Like NFT life, man. Yeah. Like, no, those people are assholes. Those aren't pure people. But like, if you wanted to inscribe something on Bitcoin, and then you turn around and you're holding the Bitcoin or uh, spending the sats within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Like that is a pure intention. That is not a malicious intent. So that that is what I mean. I, I'm not trying to like cop out with the easy answer. Like the line for me is very simple. If you are trying to scam people out of it, like go fuck yourself. And yeah. anything else is fair game because I believe in the ultimate freedom, which is if you and I disagree on everything, cool. That is what freedom is. And we I'm more than happy to have a conversation about those things. Yeah. I think I definitely disagree on the, the pure aspect. I just, I try to remove these kind of, these terms from my vocabulary because they, they're not sufficient arguments. Like I don't, it gives me too much wiggle room to move the goalposts for what I expect in like a well kind of behaving, I guess you'd call it maximalist or citizen today and tomorrow. I would say like, Every person is individually like quite complicated. There's different incentives that drive them. And it's it just gets really dicey to lump them all into groups. Well, it's useful from some metrics and especially economically. I don't know, man. The purity test thing, it's just I we find ourselves victim of it time and time again. I mean, how often has everyone in Bitcoin been canceled for one thing or another or saying something that's not pure enough or not true enough or too much aligned with something of a, of a scammer or the government or... It's just like, okay, at the end of the day, I buy and hold Bitcoin. Is that not enough for you? I'm a Bitcoiner. Anyone that no. wants Bitcoin is a Bitcoiner. I don't believe that you can. I, you're a Bitcoiner if you have Bitcoin. I, you might even be able to be a Bitcoiner without holding Bitcoin. I don't know. But I, if you don't hold any Bitcoin, you can't. What if you hold a, a spot ETF? What if you convinced, what if you're the guy that convinced BlackRock to go all in on fucking Bitcoin spot ETFs? like a bitcoiner to me is it though their actions for the time being this is the important part okay it's not there's an unintended it's not true and untrue it's not pure and impure it's there are times when your actions as a human being sitting there at home watching us and rumble youtubers app.stream there are times when your actions align with that of bitcoin and there are also times where you don't (laughs) And I'm not going to cast you out for the times that you don't, because you have to believe in a path to redemption for humans. Like this very Christian, you're pure, you're impure. Like it just doesn't work for me. It's like, what are you doing today? What are you building today? What are you working on? What is your intent? And I'm going to take you at your word 
you know, for what you tell me. Well, being, you know, cautious, skeptical, not here to get myself scammed at all. But, you know, it's like, let's see over the course of time, are your actions a net positive for this network and protocol? And I believe by kind of like transitive property of Bitcoin, therefore for humanity, because I believe this technology is a net good, right? I felt the benefits of it in my life. You felt the benefits of it in your life. That's what makes a, that's what makes a good actor in the space. It's like repeated good faith actions, you know, people make mistakes, but I'm the kind of guy who believes there's a path to redemption for everybody. I mean, everybody out there could turn a new leaf. Vitalik could forsake Ethereum tomorrow, go all in on Bitcoin. I mean, I wouldn't trust the guy. I wouldn't invest in him, wouldn't invest in any projects he did, but I would think, you know what? Good for him. I'm glad he kind of joined the side of Bitcoin here and is more pro-freedom than he was previously and wants to actually, you know, contribute to Freedom Tech. Andrea, that's all I got on that subject. Fair. I get what you're saying. I think I think we're, we've talked about this at length and ultimately at, at its core, and correct me if I'm wrong, but both of us are on the side of like, this is very much freedom technology. And if you are contributing either in adoption, in growth, whatever it may be to contribute to it, you are a good faith actor until proven otherwise. Would that be a, a very simple way of putting a bow on this? Sure. Yeah, here. Let's All right, we've got three more questions, man. 19 um, minutes. So. Let's just go back to number eight right now. When should you move your Bitcoin to cold storage? I want to start by sharing my story. So I tell me, that- Tell me about your cold storage. Where do you keep uh, it? What is it? Do you want do you want my the twelve words as well? It's like yeah, door. yeah, just so I can verify that you are a Bitcoin man. So it's door, cat, dog, penis, cockroach. That's not a that's not a, <laughs> <laughs> too too many letters. So I don't know why, but when I first started stacking, I thought it was like, oh, it's not worth it to put your Bitcoin in cold storage until you've got a whole Bitcoin. So I started buying Bitcoin at the beginning of 2019. And by the time the bull run started at the end of 2020, I think I had maybe a little bit more than half a Bitcoin at the time. And I kid you not, then like, I'll dox this. Like I was buying it exclusively on cash app at the time. And legitimately the, um, whatever the max amount that you can send per week. It took me like a month to finally send all of the Bitcoin off of my cash app to my cold storage wallet. So learn from that lesson and know whatever, like if you're using cash app strike, Coinbase, whatever KYC platform, which we'll get into that in a second, know what the limits are on a daily and weekly basis so that, you can very quickly send it off. The other thing that I've become almost like religious about whenever I go to a conference, I usually send all of the Bitcoin that's on my phone into cold storage with the exception of like maybe a couple hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin just to spend it. But beyond that, I really don't like to carry too much on my phone, especially when I travel. Nothing would be more terrifying to me than having tens of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin on your 
cash app account and then you lose your phone and someone's able to like get into it. No, I mean, that's like, that's really low IQ behavior. I mean, at that point you deserve to have your Bitcoin stolen. If you're just walking around with tens of thousands of dollars, that's like walking around with tens of thousands of dollars in cash in your pocket. It's just done. Right, but like, do it's like walking around with a gold bar taped to your chest. What are you, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'll tell you this offline. I don't want to okay. box this. All right. Fair. But how, how often do you send yours to cold storage? Immediately. Immediately. Interesting. Um, there, there are cases when I don't. It's case by case, right? Like I pay people in Bitcoin. I buy things with Bitcoin. So I do hold Bitcoin on hot wallets for a short time. If I know I have a purchase to make, I'll usually kind of just like buy and replace. Like I'm not going into cold storage to send Bitcoin out ever. No exceptions. It's not, it doesn't move, but it can't move. But it would be very inconvenient to make it move. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I think that's like the level of cold storage people should actually aspire to because it prevents you, it protects you from yourself. And if there is like actually in the event of an emergency, whatever you have, like it's huge hospital bill, something like you can make it happen. It's going to take a little bit of work, but you know what I mean? You don't want it to be easily accessible because that's a point of failure. That's a vector of attack. And yeah, you want to alleviate that. So I'm a big fan of like passphrases, geographically distributed, multi-signatures, all that stuff. You know, multiple stacks, KYC, non-KYC. It's everyone's got to find a setup that's right for them. Once you have set up, I think any amount that you'd be scared to lose should be going to cold storage. And for me, that's any sat. I don't want to, you know, I'm very particular about, uh, you know, spending. I don't want to. When I convert dollars into this thing, it's with the intention that I'll hold it forever. I really don't want to uh, send it the other way. Um, that being said, it is nice to spend Bitcoin. I think it helps grow adoption. You should spend and replace. So I try to do some of that. I also really like to test out all the hot wallets because these are kind of the forefront. Like this is like the bleeding edge of consumer adoption is people out there actually using hot wallets, using lightning, trading Bitcoin, sending it to each other, like surprising each other you know with gifts spending between you know peer-to-peer -peer usage through mobile phones is huge so it's really nice to kind of play even the games that are invented for this to gamble with this i will say that is probably my single biggest vector of attack is i really like to degen gamble on ln markets with stats <laughs> with like tiny amounts of bitcoin and extremely large leverage and it's it's super fun because it one, I mean, you if you're good at it, you get more sats and it's fun. But two, every now and then, you're going to get like liquidated. Something's going to go wrong. And you remember like, this is why I don't trade. You know what I mean? So, But you can do it on the level of fractions of a penny. Remind yourself of that. And it's the same. I mean, it's kind of like paper trading just with a little bit more uh, skin in the game. But anyway, Fair. that's for another time. That's another, I guess that's another point of failure for those, you know, 0.000. Oh, who won bitcoins but uh, i want to yeah. i want to go to the kyc question now just simply because we've, yeah. we've referenced it a couple times on this episode so what is kyc bitcoin kyc stands for know your customer and it's essentially a regulation that the government has put forward to different crypto exchanges as well as even bitcoin only exchanges like strike and swan for example or cash app where in an effort to avoid money laundering and 
Bitcoin being sent to terrorists because somehow in an the effort US... to surveil you. Let's be honest. Totally, totally. To know who is holding Bitcoin, these entities are required to report to the government. I believe it's directly to the IRS, but correct me if I'm wrong on that. The names of individuals who have purchased Bitcoin. More There's than a that. well more information than that, right? Well, your, it's like your name, your bank info, how yeah. much you purchased, the date, time, price, all, all of that stuff, sure. But to mm -hmm. me, the main thing that's important here is your name. And then your bank does become important. I think after your address. Yeah. I mean, dude, I, I, the government's got your address. <laughs> no, it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of third parties having information about you that they leak all the fucking time that's like I, where okay, you live what, what your phone number is what it's a huge vulnerability for people to buy bitcoin repeatedly like you know god bless strike and cash app i love these apps i actually use these apps but it freaks me out when people buy the majority of their bitcoin on like a swan or a cash app or a strike like there are malicious actors out there that you know could compromise <laughs> your whole system and then everybody's screwed. Like they're leaked, they're doxxed, their Bitcoin stacks are doxxed, at least a, some kind of minimum of them. It's a dangerous play. I think know your customer Bitcoin is, I mean, how do you think Satoshi would feel sitting here today to know that like the vast majority of Bitcoin that exists is completely captured by banks, institutions, centralized apps, like you know, on sitting on some Coinbase wallet somewhere, Binance. It's sad. I think the important thing is to keep up, although it's it's a huge convenience trade-off for a lot of people, but keep up this privacy dream. Let's grow that niche interest and trade Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer in a non-know-your-customer manner. Fuck the government. Money laundering is a moving goalpost of a set of regulations that don't make any sense. The whole purpose is to surveil you and mine you and grab ever more power over you. And you can subvert all that by mining at home, by using non-KYC exchanges, by buying Bitcoin peer-to-peer, -peer, maybe at meetups or maybe from someone online, by buying Bitcoin and then coin joining it. I mean, I think these are all essential parts like you as a Bitcoiner. You don't have to jump in today and learn how to do these things, but you should start like make a plan to learn how to do them tomorrow. <laughs> you know, one by one, you got to try out. You got to try yeah, start out tomorrow. Don't start today. <laughs> start tomorrow. You can start today if you want, but I'm just saying like it shouldn't prevent you. Okay. So all this fear of like, oh, fuck, KYC, non-KYC, mixed, unmixed, like strike versus cash up versus, you know, whatever other place you can buy it you got to just jump in and like get some Bitcoin to get your feet wet and sort of understand the protocol and like your journey of learning is never going to end. But I think non KYC or what I like to call ethical Bitcoins are a really huge, important step on that journey that every Bitcoin should be striving to work towards. If you've been here for, for a few months and you have Bitcoin on exchange, the most important thing is get it off the exchange so you don't get rugged a la FTX, a la Binance incoming. Coinbase incoming, you know, these institutions have shown they cannot resist the urge to play evil games with your money. So you have to take it out of the hands of third parties and take responsibility for what you own. Otherwise, what, what the fuck would you own Bitcoin if you're not going to alleviate trusted third party vulnerabilities?
What's the point? You don't have the price exposure. You're going to get rugged. <laughs> yeah, I think too, there's the, the component of KYC that I am more concerned about is to your point, like this is not, Satoshi created this as a form of, I'll steal from Budon, as an internet database that would be the best way to store the information around money because the powers that be, the centralized government, central bankers, et cetera, have no idea how to handle it and they've screwed it up so much. But now what we've essentially done is unlike back in, what was it, 30, was it 33 or 41 when the order came out about gold? If Alex, if you can, uh, gold illegal to own. But we've already seen that we have passed bills in this country that said you can't hold your own gold. You have to deposit in the bank. The bank is the better, safer place. Well, guess what? Unless there were real KYC laws, like there were always ways to get around that for the most part. You could hide your gold, you can lie, you can say you lost it, whatever. But there is now a digital sort of record. And because these KYC platforms are going to be able to tell, like the UTXO that this Bitcoin was purchased through becomes invaluable to the government because. Oh shit, yeah, I lost my coins in a boating accident. Like, unless you know how to mix, unless you know how to get your hands on KYC free Bitcoin, like that Bitcoin's stuck now. You're not gonna be able to sell it. You're not gonna be able to use it. And I think it's a little naive to think that the government won't end up turning around and saying, like, hey, you know what? It it's not in we don't think it's a good idea for people to hold their own keys. Too many people keep losing their keys. Bitcoin's too valuable for so many Bitcoins to be lost. So we think it's best if everyone turns over their Bitcoin to, to the banks or to this government organization, we're going to hold it on your behalf because we know best because we've well, done that's what's this coming. before. A hundred percent. They're not going to come right out and say it. They're just going to support the institutions that have the best capture and they're going to capture as much of the Bitcoin industry as they can through, yeah, KYCing all these people and holding retail deposits. And that's terrifying. And that's what we really should be wake up and fighting against, you know, not kind of re-litigating issues of the past, not kind of, oh, fuck, this guy's a scammer, this guy's a scammer. It's like, no, the state is going to scam all of us. You, you don't want it to capture Bitcoin in a significant way. I don't want the entire population to be like 8 billion people to be accessing Bitcoin through a centralized institution. That sounds terrible. That sounds like a nightmare. That's like, what's the point if we're even going to do that? What I'd rather have is the growth of kind of self-sovereignty, this movement become medic and viral. And people will say, you know what? I'm tired of sacrificing my privacy for convenience and giving ever more power to the state that it then turns around and you know oppresses people with time and time again and never like returns to them so i don't know i think it's super important that you got to learn to non-kyc you got to learn to acquire non-kyc bitcoin you have to learn the difference you have to visit these other exchanges bisc robosats um 
talk to miners, mine at home yourself, buy from peers, learn how to coin join, learn how to use, learn how to use uh, Whirlpool, learn how to use, you know, yeah, coin join market. Like I said, there's many options there. I think for the time being, Q, if you're cool with it, we should hop on. Well, we should cover our two. Our August wrap was that Bitcoin fell over 11% in August. Boo. No, just kidding. I'm super excited about that. Stacking cheap stats, bro. Before. Yeah, super cheap stats. I love when the Bitcoin price falls. And then Bitcoin is also on a six-year September losing streak. I mean, so now we're getting... it. So yeah, relevant. that's like a. Str- I was gonna say we're entering the territory of astrology here, but August is the least productive month for people. So dude, it's literally it. we're in the dog days of summer. That's all this is. So I like so I'm the TA the truck, guy here, and I don't even care about this statistic. <laughs> I well, I do care about it you because can, I'm excited. Because if you've, you've been, been stacking, I'm playing on LN, dominating on LN with 100x <laughs> leverage, my friend, just raking in the sats uh, while these fools get liquidated. It's a great time to acquire even equities too, like we talked about, like these mining equities. I don't know if that makes us shit corners, but I've sure enjoyed the benefits of a, a little options trading. I think it's. I think it's helpful to do things that help you acquire more Bitcoin and to take risk if you're young. But we've talked about that ad nauseum. So September, yeah. August, super bullish months by virtue of the fact that you can accumulate super cheap exposure to Bitcoin and sets. Yeah. I want to okay. hit this final question because I think it'll be short got? and sweet. How many times per day, week, or month do you DCA? I will be honest, Like there was a period last year where I was being obnoxious and I was literally buying... Uh, a little bit of Bitcoin every hour on strike. And then I got my tax forms and I, I was like, oh, this was a bad idea. <laughs> I would say like personally, what I do may not work for you. So keep that in mind. <clears throat> the beauty about buying Bitcoin is the fact that you can buy in a fraction of Bitcoin. What's the, like, I think the smallest purchase price on strike is like a dollar or 50 cents. Like something very small. Yeah. So, like if that's all you can avoid afford per day, that's fine. If that's all you can afford per week or per month, that's fine. I think so long as you are steadily adding to your stack, what you are in essence doing is you are putting money aside in savings. I'm never going to tell someone, oh, you, all of your savings need to be in this. You need to do that. Do what you're comfortable with and like do what you're comfortable potentially losing if you're just starting out. And then over time, as you learn more, you'll realize like, oh shit, I don't have enough. I need to up this. Like that, that's exactly what happened like the to The Bitcoin me. 20 class of 2021 learning that their savings is depreciated by 75%. <laughs> I mean, there is an element too where it's like, I think it was Jay Gold and I had this conversation where he was like, I, I read like reports where if you have a lump sum and your two options are like, let me ape in or let me... DCA, they found that there's almost no difference over the course of time if you had lump summed in towards a local bottom, half of what you wanted, and then DCA in the rest. That works. Like I have a weird strategy where, like, yeah. I, like I'll share my strategy because I've shared it with people and people love it and have copied me ever since. But so, like right now, twenty five dollars a day is what I buy. <clears throat> but here are the guidelines and parameters. If the price is lower today versus yesterday, today's buy is 
more. Typically what I would do is it would be $5 more. So then it would be $30. And then if it goes down again, the next day, I continue to make the next subsequent buy more dollar amounts. So not only am I paying more in dollars, I'm automatically getting more sats because Bitcoin's lower, but then I'm getting even more sats lowering my price point. And then what I typically end up doing is say it went down four days in a row. So 25, 30, 35, $40. But then the next day it goes up. It's not higher than where I started, but it still went up. I reset at $25. So that's sort of my strategy to pyramid in and get better, lower prices. Look, the, the most important thing is that your Bitcoin inflows exceed your outflows. All right. So you yeah. should be having an ever greater Bitcoin stack. That's all I care about. However the fuck you have to do it. I mean, do it. You do. You know what I mean? For me, in different time periods, you know, it just kind of depends on the income situation. If I was getting like a lot of income regularly in small amounts, yeah, DCA may make a bit of sense. But I also, I tend to look a little longer term, you know, between the weeks and months. Like, is this generally a good time to be buying Bitcoin? You know, I'm going to buy low. I'm going to sell high. I hate to say it, but, you know, it helps me acquire more Bitcoin. You know, it's not exactly aligned with the stay humble and stack sats mentality. But I think that mentality is for people who don't really want to think all that too hard or take a lot of risk. And that's fine. That's totally, that's cool. It works for them. But I also think it works really well for the exchanges who you're paying fees to, you know, every single day. <laughs> I, yeah. And I don't know. I'm not keen on that. Not keen on using the exchanges. I'm more of like a lump sum every couple weeks, every week kind of guy. And definitely keep some cash on hand for when that price dumps and it will dump. It always does. So it always does. We're over that hour. I want to go back to bed, but honestly, I'm too awake to go back to bed at this point. So I'll probably stay up, but any Fire final up. thoughts or words before we depart for the long weekend? Increase your cash inflows, decrease your expenditure and stack sats. You know, it's not sexy, but it works. Love it. On that note, we are going to be off on Monday. So we will be back Tuesday of next week. Thank you everyone on Restream, on Twitter, on Zap.Stream, on YouTube, Rumble. on Rumble. Yeah, I said Restream. Damn it. You said Restream. Uh, I said Restream. We're on Restream. You're on Rumble. But thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Leave us comments. Let us know what questions you want us to answer. We are on a quest to 21 million questions answered. We have officially finished question 10 this week. That's less than 21 million to go. We're making huge progress here. <laughs> we just have two, 2.1 million weeks worth of this show left based on our pace right now. Let's go. I don't want to do the math on how many years that is. <laughs> All right. Oh my God, that's 40,000 years. Okay, we're logging off. Goodbye. <laughs>